Hello, and welcome to Caverncast. Because it's Halloween weekend, so I thought I would make it a tad spookier than it already is. I have not done anything for Halloween this year because I am spending it with you guys. Welcome to another episode of Caverncast. I hope you are well. I hope you had a good Halloween, if you did anything for Halloween. I hope you had lots of candy, or if you're an adult, I hope you had a lot of adult candy, responsibly, whatever, whatever type of candy you enjoy. I'm going to present you with some ear candy today, something for you to relax to and be educated by, if you haven't listened to Cast before, how it works is I use a random word generator to generate five random words and then I talk about whatever comes to mind. But today, instead of five words, there's going to be six because it's Halloween. So the first word of today is going to be Halloween. I'm just going to go over some fun Halloween facts to start us off. So here we go. Get your spooky brain tank ready. And I might make it a bit spooky. Should we make it a bit spooky? Yeah, let's make it a bit spooky. Okay, let's go. Halloween originated from an ancient Celtic festival. The origins of Halloween date back 2,000 years to the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, which was celebrated on October 31st on the eve of their new year according to the History Channel. The Celts believed that the dead returned to Earth that night, and so they lit bonfires and donned costumes to ward off the ghosts. Jack-o'-lanterns were inspired by an Irish legend. According to the History Channel, oh, History Channel again, the name Jack-o'-lantern is rooted in an Irish folktale about a man named Stingy Jack, who fooled the devil and in turn was forced to walk the earth with only a burning coal in a hollow turnip to light his way. The Irish began to call him Jack of the Lantern, and then just Jack-o'-lantern. The most lit jack-o'-lanterns on display is 30,581. The city of Keene, New Hampshire, holds the Guinness World Record for the most lit jack-o'-lanterns on display, a whopping 30,581. Keene was the original record holder in this category and has broken the record eight times since then. Trick or treating has existed since medieval times. Trick-or-treating was inspired by the medieval English tradition of souling, which involved children going door-to-door on All Souls Day, offering prayers for residents' deceased loved ones in exchange for food. The fear of Halloween is called Samhainophobia. Many people enjoy embracing the spooky spirit of Halloween, but for some, the fear is not all in good fun. Some people suffer from Samhainophobia, or the fear of Halloween. The song Monster Mash was briefly banned in the UK. The BBC banned the hit 1962 song from Airplay that year because they thought it was too morbid. The perennial Halloween favourite didn't become a graveyard smash in the UK until it was re-released there in 1973. 
The mask worn by Michael Myers in Halloween was actually a William Shatner mask. Production designer Tommy Lee Wallace picked up the $2 mask from a Hollywood Boulevard magic shop. It was spray painted white and the rest is scary movie history. And the last fact. The fastest pumpkin carving only took 16.47 seconds. Stephen Clark of New York holds the Guinness Book of World Records distinction, having carved his speedy lantern in October 2013. In order to nab the title, the jack-o'-lantern had to contain a complete face, including eyes, nose, mouth, and ears. No word on what the face's expression had to be. Okay, hope you enjoyed that, but 16.47 seconds to do a whole face, I feel like I could do it faster than that. I feel like I could stab a face into a pumpkin in less than 10 seconds. Don't you? I feel like I could. I definitely feel like I could. Okay, so there's some Halloween facts for you. Moving forward, we have some fun words today. This word is sword. Okay, so the absolute child in me's ears just perked up. I spent so much time when I was a kid looking at cool swords on the internet. It was around the time I found out you could buy replicas of swords from films, and it was one of the only things that gave me serotonin. Wait, dopamine? Dopamine. Yeah, because it was such a rush. The swords from Lord of the Rings, Blade, different video games like Zelda and Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts. Just like an endless cascade of absolute visual nerdistry. And obviously, I could buy any because I was way too young. But once I figured out how to create an eBay account, I I bought a set of swords that I thought were made of wood. They were not. And I got caught. And we had to speak to the sword people. Well, my mum had to speak to the sword people and tell them what happened. And it was the first negative review I had ever gotten on anything on the internet. Some might say that was necessary training. Skin thickening, if you will. But, um... Anytime I've gotten to hold a sword in my life, my imagination just goes wild. This is going to sound strange, but this is, it's like a portal to a place where my mind just goes. It opens up all these creations and memories and so many. I sound like a total nerd, don't I? Good. Do you know what? Because I'm proud of it. Swords are awesome. A sword is an edged, bladed weapon intended for manual cutting or thrusting. Its blade, longer than a knife or dagger, is attached to a hilt and can be straight or curved. A thrusting sword tends to have a straighter blade with a pointed tip. A slashing sword is more likely to be curved and to have a sharpened cutting edge on one or both sides of the blade. Many swords are designed for both thrusting and slashing. The precise definition of a sword varies by historical epoch and geographic region. Is it epoch or apoch? It doesn't matter. 
Historically, the sword developed in the Bronze Age, evolving from the dagger. The earliest specimens date to about 1600 BC. The later Iron Age sword remained fairly short and without a crossguard. The Spatha? The Spatha? The Spatha? As it developed in the late Roman army, became the predecessor of the European sword of the Middle Ages, at first adopted as the Migration Period sword, and only in the High Middle Ages developed into the classical arming sword with crossguard. The word sword continues the Old English sword. It's just sword with an E in it. Sword. Taste my sword. Now, you can see why they changed it. Stop right there or you will taste the hint of my sword. Yeah, yeah. Nice one. Language people, well done. You made the right call there. I kind of have this thing that swords are a bit like songs. Hear me out. Um, you have like your standard swords and like your long swords and stuff like that. The, the ones that everyone used to use. Well, yeah, classical arming swords. Um, they're the equivalent of like pop music, right? They're everywhere. They do the job. They're pretty solid. They're all good. But they're made to a mold and just kind of churned out. Then you have like daggers, which are like your little viral hits. Shorter, but hit faster and quicker. You have fantasy swords, which are like your like your kind of avant-garde weirder stuff. I reckon broadswords and claymores and like the big hefty swords are like metal. They just absolutely knock you out. Like one swing and you're done. And then you have like Japanese katanas and other swords of different cultures, which are like your music of different cultures. And then, I like these analogies. These are kind of cool. And then, oh, and then you have like swords from movies, which are like the soundtracks to those movies, right? And like TV shows and stuff. Yes. Yes, I think I will go with that. I made a keyblade when I was younger. I can't remember what happened to it, but I was actually really proud of it. It was pretty good. The um the keyblade is the weapon from Kingdom Hearts, the video game. It's like half key, half sword. It's pretty badass. Pirate swords are like sea shanties. <laughs> These comparisons are now running as a background task in my brain. So some more might just pop up throughout this podcast they may not but they might uh the next word is fair i was playing catchphrase last night and one of the clues was a big red square next to a fairground and i was like fair and square and nobody got it so for someone that is usually terrible at quiz shows like really bad i was quite smug but to be fair, catchphrase is kind of my jam. And if you don't know what catchphrase is, the past 30 seconds probably would have been very confusing for you, uh, I imagine. Catchphrase is a quiz show that originated in the UK. I think there's a US version. Probably. 
But basically, um, animations come up on a screen that play out a well-known catchphrase or like figure of speech or thing that people say, like fair and square. Or like there was a an animation of a guy putting a suitcase in his car and then he just punches the ground. And that one was hit the road because he literally hit the road. And I didn't get that. And I was really annoyed at it. But it's my favourite quiz show. You should give it a watch. I used to love fun fairs when I was a kid. There was a field next to the house I grew up in uh, that hosted all of my town's events. So twice a year there would be a fun fair there. And, well, let's just say I got pretty good at winning stuffed Pokemon by shooting down targets. Do you know what? I definitely put that down on my la- <laughs> on my like secret agent application form. Yeah, because they definitely have application forms. Um, was an absolute beast at funfair shooting ranges. One seven Pikachu's, three large Charizards, and then just put in brackets top prize. Oh my god, this guy's incredible. They would have to... I'd be the next James Bond, honestly. I was scared of dodgems for ages. I don't know why. Um, I used to love the rides that used to spin and stick you to the wall. Not for the faint-hearted, but um, they made me feel like Spider-Man because I, if I like pulled myself away from the wall, I could climb it. Just the overall vibe of a fair was nice. Then as I got older, it was like, okay, one go on the waltzer and then it's back in time for tea. Fair is another one of those words that has loads of meanings. Uh, you got fun fair, fair head, life isn't fair. <laughs> I mean, what? Oh, that, that one just slipped out. It was a, I didn't mean that one. I'm, I, I meant fair like unbiased. Yeah, like equal and stuff. Whenever I see like the uh, the old English spelling of the word fair, like like F A Y R E, like fair, um, or F A I R E, I like I instinctually just pronounce it like I did this in the bonus episode. Is it instinctually or instinctively? It's, it is instinctually, isn't it? Bonus episodes are available on my Patreon, by the way, patreon.com forward slash Calvin Kingston. But yeah, I instinctually pronounce it like, like in a southern US accent, like fire. Is that how how you pronounce it in southern US? Let's go to the fire. I want to go to the fire. Fire. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting very state specific. It doesn't sound like that should be everywhere. Probably doesn't sound like that should be anywhere, to be honest fair i want to go to fair and get some candy apples anyway um oh wait hang on so i was looking at the origin of fair like looking for like the the congregating of people in a field to throw coconuts and eat food and go on rides at the fair but um all i got was the origin of fair like Attractive, like fair maiden. And uh, it comes from the Old English, fager, 
Fega. And it has one of those little conjoined A-E things, like F-A-E, like Fega. Which I think is called a, a, di, a diphthong, a digraph, or something like that. A diphthong is where there's like a vowel change in one sound, so like A, Fega. So, um, okay, it doesn't really matter anyway. Well, it's kind of a cool fact if you didn't know. Anyway, um, diphthong is a good word. Fager, not such a good word aesthetically. Um, Kind of even worse when it's like an old English word that means attractive. So back in the day when people were like, that, oh, she's well fager. No, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be like, no, it'd be like, so the, the equivalent now would be like, you know, where, where like people are like, baby, or Berlin still. Back then, it would have been like, maiden, thou is fager as all heaven. Damnation. The roadmen from back in the day. I suppose it's, it's kind of almost like, you know, you take, so like fair from fager is like beaut from beautiful. Like, or oh, she's a beaut. Well, it's almost like language does the same thing over and over as time goes on. Hmm. So the origin of actual fairs, again, this is only on Wikipedia, but in the Middle Ages, many fairs developed as temporary markets and were especially important for long distance and international trade as wholesale traders travelled sometimes for many days, to fairs where they could be sure to meet those they needed to buy from or sell to. Fairs were usually tied to special Christian religious occasions, such as the Saints' Day of the local church. Stagshaw in England is documented to have held annual fairs as early as 1293, consisting of the sales of animals. Along with the main fair held on the 4th of July, the city also hosted small affairs throughout the year where specific types of animals were sold, such as one for horses, one for lambs, and one for ewes. This is going to be a great note to end this word on. I'm about to cheapen the whole thing. I like that fairs in England have gone from international trade markets where many a business deal was made to kids drinking alka pops and throwing up on waltzes that's been the progression of that whole thing and i can say that because it was me i was kids do they have alka pops in the u.s and australia and places surely it's not just a british thing feels like it should be kind of a british thing but Alcopops is just alco, alcohol and Gatorade, it may as well be, it feels like. Anyway, speaking of being a kid, the next word is element. And I used to wear so much element clothing when I was younger because I was a skater and Bam Margera, who owns element, was an ambassador for element. I don't know, he was like my idol when I was younger, which explained a lot. Element is really good clothing though. I still wear it now. I think I might have my Element stuff in this van actually. Water, earth, fire, air. Long ago the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when the fire nation attacked. 
Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. Ahem. I'm sorry. I blacked out for a second there. I don't know what happened. I'm feeling a lot of weird energy for some reason, though. Oh, well. I am way more at the mercy of the elements now than I ever have been before, now that I live in the van. Like, there's always something to do. And then if it's raining, it's like, nope, can't be doing that. But on the flip side of that, it is so nice being in here when it is pummeling down with rain. It is the coziest thing in the world. It just becomes white noise and it is so relaxing. Like the entire world around you is just gone and you are completely present in this rain sound. Almost like you're under a waterfall. The wind could probably chill though, to be honest. Like I don't need to be rocked to sleep anymore. I'm all good. You know that nursery rhyme or that lullaby? Rock by baby on the treetop When the wind blows the cradle will rock Why is it when the bow breaks The cradle will fall Down will come baby cradle and all Can't really remember the melody but it was something like that That's really dark if you think about it Is there even an ulterior message to that or is it just Just dark? The rhyme is believed to have first appeared in print in Mother Goose's Malady, London, 17, 1765, possibly published by John Newbery. Oh, John, which was reprinted in Boston in 1785. No copies of the first edition are existent. The rhyme is followed by a note. This may serve as a warning to the proud and ambitious who climb so high that they generally fall at last. So Rockabye Baby is the story of Icarus, basically, or Jenga. Jenga too. If you can help with the meaning behind that or any kind of info about it, tweet me at Kevin Kingston because I'd be really interested to know. But yeah, back to the uh, the mercy of the elements. I've yet to experience proper, proper heat while living in the van. So we'll see what happens next year. But right now, I'm trying to live in the present. So it's all good. Word number four is flight. I have said this before, but I fully believe that in a past life, I was something that flew. I have such an affinity with anything that makes you feel like you're flying. Like anything at a fair or a theme park that goes ridiculously high and lets your feet dangle. That's uh, right up my street. Or right in my jet stream. Wait, right in my cloud. You get me. I'm like a bird. I only fly away. I hope, I hope Nelly Furtado is doing well. I remember seeing this thing where they attached a camera to an eagle's head. I think it was an eagle's head. Uh, to see how they fly. And it's insane how complex the aerodynamic elements are that are involved in flight. Hella science. Hella angles and hella science. Mad, mad science. Here's a question. If you could fly, right, 
Would you prefer wings, like badass angel wings, or would you want to be like, like how they fly in, what's an example of this? I don't know why I'm thinking of an example, you already know what I mean. Oh my god, who flies like, Superman, Superman I guess, right? I'd choose that way, I reckon, I'd choose the Superman way, just without wings, but no capes, no capes. So uh, if anyone has a jetpack I could borrow, I will give you things in return. Deal? I set the smoke alarm off on a flight once. Here I am exposing myself. Um, I was in the toilet vaping, which I don't do anymore. Best thing I ever did was stop smoking. Um, But yeah, at the time, uh, I didn't think vaping set off the the smoke alarms so imagine my surprise when I was hotboxing the toilet cubicle on my flight and I hear the loudest sound I've ever heard oh my god it was ear piercing I managed to talk my way out of it but they were not happy I was also terrified because it was an overnight flight and when I went in the lights were on And when I came out, they were not. I thought I shut down the plane. I learned a very good lesson that day. I um, I have an urge to Google this because I have to know. I feel like I already know, but I want to Google it anyway just to make sure. Can humans fly? According to an article in Yale Scientific, It is mathematically impossible for humans to fly like birds. Ah. For one, the wings, both span and strength, are in balance with a bird's body size. Plus, birds have mostly hollow bones, mostly hollow because they are strengthened with crisscrossing struts that reduce their mass and provide air pockets to give them more oxygen when flying. I can just breathe deeply. It's fine. Uh, It's not because we're too big. We're too weak. Speak for yourself. I've got mad gains at the gym. I lift, bruh. Animals much bigger than humans have taken to the skies. Such as the... What is this word? Quetzalcoatl... Quetzal... Quetzalcoatlus? Quetzalcoatlus? A humongous pterosaur. It's a big old dinosaur. Quetzalcoatlus? Quetzalcoatlus. And to Pokemon. Calculations of the ratio between human size and strength reveal that our species will never be able to take flight unaided. The Yale Scientific article states, As an organism grows, its weight increases at a faster rate than its strength. Thus, an average adult, male human, would need a wingspan of at least 6.7 meters to fly. This calculation does not even take into account that these wings themselves would be too heavy to function. Oh, man. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm not sad about this. I'll be fine. For now, I guess I will be uh, happy with doing that thing where you strap yourself to the top of a plane and just fly around like that. I'll do and just bungee jumping and skydiving. 
we can do things. The final word of today is houseplant. Another thing that I'll probably never be able to do. Look after houseplants. Wait, no, I'm good at this. What am I talking about? Okay, so you remember when I first started Cavancast? Shout out to you if you've been here since the beginning. That's like two months ago, that's crazy. I wonder how the fly is doing. He's probably dead, isn't he? Oh well. Yeah, the house I was staying at was my friend's, and while they were away, they asked me to look after their plants, and the anxiety of that responsibility was almost more than I could bear. To be honest, looking after a dog, fine. They'll tell you pretty quick if they ain't happy. But house plants, it's like, fine, 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 fine. Hey, by the way, I'm dying. Just so you know. This is even though I was watering them, and they didn't have a couple of houseplants, they had like 20, which makes, you know, it makes the house great, feels really alive, good vibes and all that. But I was terrified I was going to miss one, and then I'd be like, are you supposed to look like that? Are you floppy by aesthetic or illness? Which one is it? Are you, are you green or are you kind of brown anyway? I don't know. Turns out, all my fears were unfounded because they came back from their holiday and not only did they say they weren't dying, they were actually looking really good. And there you go. That is the false illusion of anxiety in action. Gotcha. Believe in yourself, people. You can water houseplants too. In this analogy, houseplants are a metaphor for life. Nothing adds more beauty and comfort to our homes and offices than the lush flowers and foliage of indoor plants. Bedrooms, bathrooms, kitchens, cubicles. There really isn't a space a house plant can't enliven. Just add light and water, and you've got a growing indoor oasis. Bringing plants into your home is aesthetically pleasing, and, amazingly, plants can offer strong health benefits as well. I'm reading from an article, by the way, just in case you didn't know. And you thought that suddenly I was sponsored by plants in general. No company, just plants. Plants have sponsored me. Um, multiple studies have proven, uh, this, is, this is from Swanson's Nursery, uh, multiple studies have proven that indoor plants keep you healthier and happier, offering both psychological and physical health benefits that include improving your mood, reducing fatigue, lowering stress and anxiety, improving office performance and focus, boosting healing and pain tolerance, minimizing the occurrence of headaches by improving air quality, easing dry skin and respiratory ailments due to dry air. Maybe I should get a couple for the van. I mean, I can get on board with believing the benefits of that. Because, like, once you know how to water it and not let the thing die, which apparently I'm a professional at, then it's a pretty low-risk, high-reward thing to do, right? Sure. Plants are good. It's nature, innit? The elements. Earth. All that tasty stuff. Right? Yeah. Everybody get some plants. I'm gonna go and play in the mud. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you enjoyed the fun Halloween facts. Hope you're feeling a bit more chill than when we first started. Uh, if you want extra content, you can find that on my Patreon, where there's currently already a load of extra episodes you can grab at all tiers. 
and uh, all my socials are Kevin Kingston. And with that, I will speak to you soon. Take care of yourself. Bye.